Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. I'm your host, Brother Vinny Fitzgerald, and today we're going to delve into the Bible to bring you insight from God's Word that will help you to grow and to develop into spiritual maturity. These lessons are designed to help guide you and strengthen you in your relationship with the Lord. Whether you've never opened a Bible or have read it cover to cover, this podcast will inform and uplift you. Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Today our topic is going to be, Let this cup pass. Let's begin in Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew chapter 26, beginning in the 36th verse, it says, Then come of Jesus with them, unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here, while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter, and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time, and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them, and went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then come a fee to his disciples, and saith unto them, Sleep on now, and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. In this chapter, Jesus was praying for the cup to pass from him. Knowing that he was fully God and fully man, this shows his human nature. It reveals the tendency in him to not want to suffer, the same tendency that we all share. But there's also more to the story than just this. Twice he mentions the cup. Then the second half of verse 44 says, And prayed the third time, saying the same words. Three times he asked the Father to let the cup pass from him. Many think that his prayer wasn't answered, and take this as evidence that prayer is ineffective, or that prayer won't always work, or that God doesn't really hear our prayers. But these things aren't true at all. These false mindsets are rooted in a lack of understanding concerning this passage. His human nature was inclined to avoid suffering. We know this is true because we've all had similar inclinations and experiences in our own lives. But we can't forget that he was also fully God. This changes everything because he was the word of God personified. He knew what the will of God was because he was the embodiment of the written will. And he knew what things had to take place in order for the redemption of mankind to happen. This was his mission. This was the entire reason why the Father sent him to earth in the first place. We can't be too quick to say that he was just trying to avoid suffering with his prayer. This makes his prayer just an attempt at a cop-out, 
it makes it seem as if he was in the final lap of the race and wanted to quit before the finish line. But this goes against everything that we know of God, everything that we found in his character, and everything that we've seen him do before or after. Why would this be the one outlier, the one time where God didn't want to endure, the only time when he wouldn't stay faithful to his own plan? The only time when he would forsake his own purposes? The answer is that it's not an outlier. He never had a lapse in faithfulness and never will. And he wasn't forsaking his own purposes. He was actually fervoring them. The real problem is that Christians misconstrue what he was saying in his prayer, interpreting it through their own limited human lens. When we don't see this prayer through his eyes, eyes that are fully man and fully God, we get a skewed idea of what he meant. It wasn't that he didn't want to die on the cross and suffer all those things that would come with it. It was that he didn't want to die at that specific moment. He didn't want to die in the garden. We know that he was close to death at this point. Verse 38 told us, Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. We see here that even he himself knew and admitted that he was close to the point of death. We get an even clearer image of this in Luke chapter 22, which is a parallel passage. Verses 41 to 44 tell us, And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. If we read this too fast, without really giving it thought, it's easy to miss what's really being said here. He was sweating blood, which is highly unusual and unnatural. It shows the extent of his suffering. One medical journal says that this phenomenon of sweating blood is caused by extreme distress or fear, such as facing death, torture, or severe ongoing abuse. There's a reason why the sweating of blood is specifically mentioned here. The blood contains life. Leviticus 17 and 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. He wasn't just sweating out his blood. He was sweating out his life, which means that he was losing life. He was inching closer and closer to death with each passing moment. He knew that his mission wasn't completed yet. He knew that there was still more to be done. He knew that had he died right there and then, redemption still wouldn't be available to his people, and prophecies that he himself had inspired throughout history would go unfulfilled. He had done a lot of great, amazing things in his life, all of which were necessary and fundamental parts of God's overall plan for his life. But that pivotal point, the point on which all else in human history rested, hadn't happened yet, which would mean that the plan wouldn't be fulfilled in its entirety. This is why he was asking for the cup to pass. He didn't want his earthly life to end in the garden. He wanted to go on to the cross and do the work that he came to do. This was the devil's final and harshest attack against him. The devil knew his chances of overcoming Jesus were running out. The hour of fulfillment was almost upon them, 
and the devil threw all the worst things in his arsenal against him, trying to destroy him before he could bring redemption to man. When he asked the Father to let this cup pass, it didn't go unheard. It didn't go unanswered. It was perfectly answered. The cup did pass, and he didn't die. And not long after, he went to the cross and died and was three days later resurrected, fulfilling the entirety of his mission, drinking fully of the cup. He was never asking to not drink of the cup. He was asking that the cup be passed until a different time, the right time. The devil was attempting to force him to drink of it prematurely, but he remained steadfast and he endured, refusing to drink of it until God's appointed time. There's a lot that we can learn from what he went through in the garden, not only about the fact that prayers are always heard and always answered if they're in line with God's will, but also about properly understanding God's timing. When we're praying and we're truly looking for an answer, we usually think of it in a binary way, expecting either a yes or a no answer. And we also expect an answer that comes immediately because our culture has taught us to expect the immediate. But this isn't the way that prayer works. There are only three fundamental answers that we'll ever receive to prayer. The first two are yes or no, and the third is wait or not yet. This third answer, no one wants to get. And when they do get it, they try as hard as they can to ignore it or pretend that the answer still hasn't arrived yet. Why would God tell us to wait? Is it that he really doesn't want to give us what we're looking for in the moment that we ask? This is the assumption that people automatically make. Isaiah 65 and 24 tells us, And it shall come to pass, that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. We know that he hears us immediately as we pray. He even knows what we're going to pray before we do it. So why doesn't he always answer immediately? The answer is because of his will. He answers prayers that are in line with his will. And the answers themselves are also in line with the will. And that includes the timing in which he wills for them to manifest. The perfect timing of God is inseparable from his perfect will. Many pray that they want God's will to be done. But you won't find many people who pray for the answer to come in God's timing. There's a dangerous mindset implicit in this. People don't have as much of a problem with submitting to God's will and plan for their life because inherently they know that God is infinitely wiser than they are and that his plans are better than any plans that they can make on their own. But when it comes to timing, it's a different story. They want it to happen when they want it, not when God wants it. They want it right now. They don't want to wait. And waiting any real length of time is viewed as an undue burden that God is mercilessly forcing them to bear even though that exact period of waiting might be the mercy from God that they didn't know they needed. It's been said that a blessing at the wrong time is really a curse. And there's some truth in this. A blessing is made what it is when it happens at the moment when it's appointed to occur. Anything that's outside of its proper context exposes itself to being misunderstood, misused, and misapplied. And blessings are no different. If a person prays for wealth and gets it at a point before they're truly ready to handle it, before they're mature enough to properly steward it, the door is wide open for the devil to influence them to waste it and abuse it 
and squander the wealth in a way that makes it a curse to that person. God understands this concept well because he always wants what's best for us and he withholds certain blessings until we're ready. This may appear in that moment and in the natural to be a form of cruelty, but it's actually a great mercy, sparing us from allowing a blessing to be mutilated by the devil into a curse. We know that the Lord is concerned with timing. We find it all throughout scripture. Ecclesiastes 3 and 1 says, To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Then verse 11 of the same chapter tells us, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. John 2 and 4 says, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. The phrase not yet occurs 26 times throughout scripture, and the word wait appears 139 times, which shows even more clearly the emphasis that God places on time. Psalm 123 and 2 says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. If waiting is so important, especially as it relates to our answers to prayer, we have to be willing to do it. And we not only have to be willing to submit to God's will that he reveals to us, we also have to be willing to submit ourselves to his perfect timing. Let's go to Daniel chapter 10. In Daniel chapter 10, beginning in the 11th verse, it says, And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand, and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days, and little Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground, and I became dumb. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spake, and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord? For as for me, straightway there remained no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. Then there came again and touched me, one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me, and said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace be unto thee, be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened, and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, well, the prince of Grecia shall come. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that holdeth with me in these things, but Michael your prince. We find an important aspect to waiting here. Daniel had to wait for an answer for three weeks because of the spiritual warfare going on because of his prayer. There's a lot that we can learn from this for our own prayer life. Daniel waited. He submitted to God. 
He didn't complain and argue about not getting the answer when he wanted or when he expected it. He left it up to God. We need to do the same when we pray. When we bring our burden to the Lord, we need to leave it there. Leave it at the cross. Leave it at the master's feet. If we're constantly anxious, constantly looking for and expecting the answer, then we're still carrying the burden, just in a different form. When we leave it with God, we can know that he will perfectly take care of it, and we can be sure that he hasn't forgotten our need and will allow it to manifest at the right time. Waiting is not passive when it comes to the things of God. It's active. It's being active in our faith and standing on the promise that God will work all things out for our good. There was a battle fought over Daniel's prayer. Jesus was fighting a battle with his prayers in the garden. And many times, there's a battle that we'll have to fight before our prayers are answered. There's times when it may seem like the answer will never come. It may seem like God's forgotten us or stopped caring for us. It may seem like God has bigger and more important things to worry about than our prayers. But none of these things are true. We have to remember that his eye is on the sparrow. His eye is on us. We're the apple of his eye. But even though we know this, during the battle, it's easy to lose sight of this. And we may be looking at our outward conditions, letting them steal our focus. We can't minimize the real things that we feel and experience during the battle. We see in Jesus' experience that it took a very real toll on him. In Matthew 26 and 38, Jesus said, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. He wasn't just feeling a little sad or a little discontented. He was exceeding sorrowful, which means that sorrowful couldn't even begin to describe what he was going through. There's no word in the English language to describe the depth of his sorrow, as bad and unpleasant as it is. Sorrow is an inevitable part of our life. We will endure it on occasion. And in many cases, sorrow will be there when we're waiting for our prayer to be answered. There may be valleys and lows that we'll have to push through to get to the other side. There may be times when discouragement and discontent creep their way into our hearts and start to fester. But we can't let these times take our focus off of God and the knowledge that He is in control. We have to look past what we see and feel in the natural and reach out in faith to the joy that lies ahead when the answer will manifest. Hebrews 12 and 2 tells us, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus looked beyond the present, beyond the immediate, and this was the same reason why he was able to let the cup pass and wait for the appointed time. In the natural, it would have been far easier for him to die there. He would have escaped a lot of sorrow and a lot of agony, but he waited, he endured, and he stayed faithful. Luke 22 and 44 said, And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. He endured great agony along with his sorrow. The word for agony in Greek means the feeling of the athlete before a contest, great fear, terror, anxiety, agony. The concordance goes on further to say, it is the brand of struggle that emphasizes felt pressure experienced in an intensely personal way. This is the only place in scripture where this specific word is used. 
we can't allow ourselves to come to the conclusion that he would be like an athlete getting ready for competition and then not want to participate in the competition. He was ready, and he didn't want his preparation to be for nothing. He wanted to compete with the devil on the greatest battlefield of history. And above all, he wanted to win and overcome, not only for himself, but for everyone covered by his blood. His agony was for a reason, but it was still something to be dealt with in the moment. And we'll find many times that we have agony in our own lives. We'll feel the fear, the anxiety, the struggle, the pressure of needing an answer, but not seeing it materialize at the time that we feel that it's needed most. But we have to let the cup pass. We have to defer to God's wisdom and judgment. This doesn't lessen the agony. It doesn't take away the real feelings that we experience, but it shows us that we'll make it through, that God knows what he's doing, and that as long as we place our faith in him, we won't succumb to the agony. We'll overcome it. How can we be sure that we'll overcome? How can we be sure that we'll have the strength that we need to make it through those times of sorrow and agony before the answer arrives. We find something interesting in the stories of both Jesus and Daniel that assures us that God will provide the strength that we need to wait. When Jesus was experiencing sorrow and agony while he prayed, it says in Luke 22 and 43, And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. The Lord sent an angel to give him the strength that he needed, in that exact moment. We know that Daniel was in the same situation, that he felt like he had no more strength to wait any longer. But verses 18 and 19 say, Then there came again and touched me one like the appearance of a man. And he strengthened me and said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace be unto thee, be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. If the Lord could send an angel to Jesus or to Daniel, he can send one to us too. And he will. He wants to. He desires to see us be strong while we wait. We just have to trust in him and in his will and in his timing. He will give us everything that we need while we wait. Waiting may not be fun or enjoyable or pleasant, but it's necessary. Will we wait if there's sorrow before the joy? If there's pain before the healing? if there's darkness before the light? Or will we do what most Christians do and ignore God telling us not yet or wait and demand an answer to come out of its proper time? This is a question that we all need to ask ourselves because it's something that we've all experienced before and it's something that we're going to face again. Let's make the choice to wait on the Lord and let this cup pass. And let's make the choice to allow His will to become our will and to allow his timing to become our timing. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you that when you came down to earth, that you didn't end your mission prematurely, but that you saw it all the way through to the end, that you went on to the cross and died the death that we should have died to pay the price that we couldn't pay. Lord, we thank you that you did this all on our behalf, that you didn't just look on your own interests, but that you looked on our interests, the interests of all those who are covered by your blood all around the world and throughout all times of history. And Lord, we thank you that you drank the cup to its fullest bitter dregs, all for us. Lord, we thank you that the Holy Spirit within us is leading us and guiding us into your will. And Lord, we thank you that you've made your will known to us through your word. 
And Lord, we ask you for the wisdom and the courage and the strength to submit not only to your will, but also to your timing. Lord, we thank you that the blessings that we've received were in their proper time. And we thank you that all those great blessings that you have stored up for us are going to happen in their proper time and in their proper context. Lord, we thank you that we're free to wait on you and to rest in your word and in your promises. Lord, we ask that our waiting on you will serve as a testament to those around us of your faithfulness, keeping your word to the very end, always remaining faithful no matter what. And Lord, we thank you for all the great things that you have coming for your people and all the great things that you're doing right now in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And we give you all the honor and all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to let this cup pass and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. Now, if you prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from, and if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all. And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.